Go Birds Radio, presented by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. Official sportsbook of the real Philly fan. What's going on? It's Elliot Shore Parks for my friends at Window Nation. And if you've had enough of your windows keeping the house chilly, then fight the February cold with Window Nation. Right now, replace your windows and save big with 50% off all window styles, plus zero down, zero interest, and no payments for 24 months. With proven quality and service, it's no wonder thousands have trusted Window Nation. Don't miss out. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com to schedule your free in-home estimate. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, we're taking the podcast on the road this season. We want you to come with us. We're heading to Tampa. We're heading to Nashville. We're heading to New Orleans and maybe a couple other surprises. Thanks to fansofphilly.com. That's P-H-A-N-S, fansofphilly.com. They put all the packages together for us. We're going to hit the road. Set it and forget it. Four-star hotels, direct flights, tickets to the game, tailgates, pregame festivities, and can be a part of our show's as we're there the whole weekend, wherever we are going. Fansofphilly.com. Make sure you use the code BGN so we all stick together and come have fun with us as we cheer on our Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, and take over every stadium that we are in this season. Fansofphilly.com. Promo code BGN. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hand. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kiss and Solak Show. I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kiss and Solak Show. This is episode 39, brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist, from InsideThePylon.com, BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven-Year Streak Without a Bad Day, he is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation, and NDTScouting.com is where you can find his excellent draft work. Follow him on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, your boy went viral today. How you doing, brother? The secret code to going viral is... Tweet clips of old football players doing crazy stuff, right? That's the uh, bets formula. I just got home from the bar and saw that the Terrell Davis uh, a football life was on and just took a quick five-second video of him making a tackle on special teams. And next thing you know, Trey Wingo and Mark Slareth were all over it. So it's a good feeling, man. I can finally leave all the dead weight behind and uh, just elevate myself to a new level, hang with a new crowd. Be going to dinner with Trey Wingo here shortly. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Exactly. Got new numbers. And all it takes is one. And it's always, to me... I've gone like nuts over one tweet before, and it was a clip of a Colorado wide receiver running a post-corner post on a USC cornerback, and neither of them were big deals. Like, neither of them were like five-star recruits or anything. It wasn't anything. It like was making its way through like coaches' Twitter. See, like, oh, it's a great route or whatever. And Jim Leonard, who's the defensive coordinator of Wisconsin, like quote tweeted <laughs> it and said something about it. And I was like, oh, cool, Jim Leonard. 
And then it went nuts. So really, it's it's what you do. You do market research and analysis on big Twitters, right? On big accounts. You find what Jim Leonard likes, and you got to post that and try to get in front of Jim Leonard. That's that's the secret, Mike, to Twitter fame, right there. Let the listeners know because Mike and I are so Twitter famous. That's right. Coaches love when Hall of Famers earn their role on a team with a special teams tackle. It just it's it's fantastic for their brand. But okay, but enough about me being famous. We are going to talk about a few things. There's a few breaking things from OTAs. Number one, Paul Worlow, the linebacker that we brought in for yep. depth reasons, tore his ACL. And in the same day, we released Michael Kendricks. So our linebacking core looks a lot different today than it did even just six hours ago. Ben, I know you dropped an article for BleedingGreenNation.com concerning the Michael Kendricks release. Can you let the gentle listeners know what that means for our linebacking core? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I was mostly looking at just kind of the history of of Michael Kendricks because at this point we we were in you know very much so the uh, kind of the third off uh, off season on which you know there are conversations about him potentially being released or traded or what have you. What you see here from Philadelphia, I think, is the fact that they would have they tried every which way to trade him. I really think you know they tried to get anything out of him, but it was quite well understood at this point. You know, the Eagles weren't invested in him long term. NFL teams knew this. And so it was a matter of just outlasting Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia chose to cut him. First first day of OTAs, he, he wasn't there present. I would imagine they made the decision a couple of days ago. It just came, uh, yeah. became official now. Obviously, you know, they didn't make it after Paul Warlow tore his ACL. I think that was just, you know, an unhappy aligning of the stars. But it's interesting because there's no reason to make this cut unless you have a plan with the $6 million. Because yep. it's not as if, you know, they've seen enough from Corey Nelson and Nate Geary and who have you to say, oh, man, we don't need to be spending this money on Kendricks. Obviously, it's too much money to spend on Kendricks. I acknowledge that. But there's no reason to create space in just 2018 because they could have just cut him after the season and kept him for depth, right? There's no reason to cut him in 2018 unless you want that $6 million in cap space to do something with it. And so I would imagine they're going to be looking, if you look at this roster, the thinnest points are linebacker, which they just thinned out. So I'd imagine they're not necessarily going there. Uh, and safety. And I think that safety is going to be the spot. You've got a very strong market still left. It's Trey Boston, Kenny Baccaro, and Eric Reed, who I personally think Eric Reed would be a great addition because he's he's a, a quasi-linebacker. And so he really can give you Kendricks-like snaps, I think, while still also providing safety depth. Uh, so Eric Reed is the name I have circled. But I would imagine, you know, Kendricks was a 7.6 million dollar cap hit and they designate him a post june 1st cut so as of june 1st they'll pick up six million on the cap they don't have it right now they'll get it on june 1st but it would have only been 4.4 had they designated him a pre-june 1st cut so six million dollars coming to philadelphia's way uh, at some point next week and i would imagine there's a plan with that otherwise this doesn't make much sense to me because you needed that linebacker depth your linebacker situation's kind of in flux Hopefully, I think Hendricks is going to find somewhere very quickly to play, though. I don't know about you. He's a, he's a, he's a decent player. He's got skills. Uh, and I think three, yeah. four teams specifically are going to be interested in picking him up. Yeah, and this goes to the Corey Nelson side of things, where mm -hmm. we brought on Corey Nelson. We promised him these snaps. He took less money to come here under the promise of those additional snaps. Uh, I wrote about it for BleedingGreenNation.com when I was taking a look at my clay of ESPN's projections and saying, no, this is, Corey Nelson is going to eat into a lot of Kendrick's snaps. 
this makes a, a ton of more sense of where those snaps are actually going to come from uh, rather than just swapping them in and out or whatever the case may be. I really think they believe in him, and I thought he played well. I did his scouting report for BleedingGreenNation.com as well. Had to go back two years to where they had injuries uh, on the Broncos in their linebacking core where he got some he got some mm-hmm. burn, started four or five games, something to that effect. And I thought he played really well, and he's good in coverage. So I definitely think that he can help this linebacking core out. Now it's just a matter of we're in that situation again where if we get an injury, there's depth concerns uh, yet again. So we'll see how they deal with that. We'll see how Nathan uh, Nathan Gary uh, develops as well because he can make some more contributions this year. So we'll see how that plays out. I, and yeah, just the last point on Kendrick so that I think is we have to recognize is when we talk about replacing his snaps – when both Jordan Hicks and Nigel Bradham were healthy, Kendricks was not playing more than 45% of the snaps in a game, sometimes less right. than 40%. So we're replacing a role player, and that's very, very important to remember. Uh, now, obviously, linebacking depth right now isn't amazing, uh, and Jordan Hicks has not finished a, a season in the NFL, right? He has not right. yet gone through an entire season. So they definitely need to have a plan there. And, and that's where the Paul Warlow thing hurts more so because Warlow was more of a backup Mike than he was a guy who was going to be playing on the outside. But it's important to acknowledge that, you know, people, you're worried, oh, like, you know, Michael Kendricks to Nate Gary or Michael Kendricks to Corey Nelson is a big drop-offs. Yeah, but the big drop-offs are about 35% of the snaps, 40% of the snaps, ideally, on defense, which, so it, it's a role player situation. So it's, it's not as dire of a situation as I think some people are making it out to be. Kendricks used to be that guy. But once Jim Schwartz came into the building in 2017, uh, excuse me, once he came into the building in 2016, Kendricks had less, less than 30% of the snaps on that year. And then when the linebacking core was at full strength, he was at less than 40. So it's a role player mm-hmm. that they're trying to replace. You know, you mentioned the drop-off. I don't even think it's that big between him and Corey Nelson. So I, I think we're fine as far as that goes. We'll see how we address the depth issues. But Ben, we have a breaking story, some news on the Nick Foles front. Yeah. Uh, what I've seen is that I, I'm not sure who had the story first. If you want to throw that in there when you Mike jump Silver. in, feel free. Mike Silver. Okay. All right. Not oh, sorry. the biggest fan of his. But yeah, Mike Silver reporting that he spoke with three sources and they said that the Cleveland Browns offered 35 overall for Nick Foles in the offseason before the acquisition of Tyrod Taylor, before the draft, obviously. And the Eagles went to Foles and asked him what he wanted to do. And he said he would prefer to stay in Philly. And that was right before they restructured his contract, which makes a lot of sense as far as the timing of that goes. But yeah, Nick Foles said no. The Eagles said no as well. Turned down the 35th overall pick, which was eventually used on Georgia running back Nick Chubb. So I know there's going to be a lot of opinions about this as far as, oh, we could have had this. We could have had that. We could add Nick Chubb. You know what I mean? I mean, people were looking for a running back in the draft, whether or not that was necessarily a big need for this with Ajayi and and Clement being in the building. But at the same time, people are always going to kind of point at that because Foles was definitely expected to be traded in the offseason by a lot of people and Mm -hmm. especially a lot of people at this station. And for 35 overall, that's a good value. I was very firmly in the camp of find a trade situation that is right for Nick Foles as a guy who's you know, had his struggles with loving the game of football and, 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 you know, wanting to continue to be in the sport. Are you saying that Hugh Jackson, that playing for Hugh Jackson is not it? It's, it's really shocking. Like, let's wrap our heads around this for a second. Yeah. The, the Super Bowl MVP dominated the Vikings, beat the Patriots, incredible prolific offensive play, would rather remain a backup than go start for the Cleveland yeah. Browns. Yeah. And, and we're all just kind of being like, well, yeah, that's crazy, <laughs> right? 
Like that, like, we're all just, like, no one really balked at that at all. But even Browns fans, like, when you bring up, like, I brought up the the tweet that I had talking about Howie Roseman, how the, the why the Browns passed on Wentz, and a lot of people were like, well, you know, you don't know how Wentz was going to do under Hugh Jackson. It's Browns fans basically saying Wentz wouldn't be as good under Hugh Jackson because Hugh Jackson is not a good coach. Well, why is he in the building if that's going to preclude right. you from taking a quarterback? And now it's keeping you from being able to trade for a Super Bowl MVP quarterback. Like, get that man out of there because no one wants to come play for the dude. Like, no, it's, it's true. It, it's very true. It's it's bonkers to me. So, Ben, what do you what do you do you agree with the fact that the Eagles that that number one? I like the fact that they went to Nick Foles and said, "What do you want to do?" And then when mm-hmm. he made the decision or said that he would prefer to stay in Philadelphia, they said, "Okay, well, let's rework this contract a little bit." You know, do you like how all that went down? Like like I was saying, I you know I was firmly in the camp. You ask Foles and you make sure it's a situation yeah. that he wants. As a guy who who was a Super Bowl MVP, he he was an integral part in winning that game. He stepped in for for Carson Wentz. Very difficult task, uh, and you make sure the situation is right. And if he wants to stay in Philadelphia, then he wants to. And I was I was totally behind that. And then thirty five was on the table, and now it hurts. You know what I mean? Now like oh that's tough. It does and you wonder how much work maybe went into trying to convince Foles to go for it you know what I mean you wonder what that conversation was like you know if he was like a firm no like I just I I don't I don't want to go I want to stay here in Philadelphia like you wonder if you know how many teams were on his okay list right if it was like two then whatever and if it was like 85 and the Browns just weren't one of them then that's really frustrating (laughs) because you know you go back obviously it's, it's quite revisionist history but you go back and you start looking at the names that were available at 35 Mike Nick Chubb, Ronald Jones, Cortland Sutton, Connor Williams, Jesse Bates, mm. Isaiah Oliver. We like, oh, and that just hurts. You know, these are some incredible names. Uh, and so it, it's tough. I think it was the right decision. I'm not sure I would have been able to make it were I in those <laughs> shoes. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I get it. There is really a question that, that is worthy of asking that is, obviously, you want to you wanna all love to Nick Foles. Is it sound business like what what it's very tough to quantify the rate of return of doing such a player friendly move like letting Nick Foles deny a trade for 35 right like that is that 35 is a lot of value Mike it's a lot of value yeah. I you know and it's so antithetical to what Howie Roseman has done where he's not afraid to trade right. or cut somebody right. and I'm not disputing that there's value to treating Nick Foles that way I'm not disputing the fact that right. like forever how legit this is it's gonna buy you a lot of capital in terms of the locker room but that's a very apples to orange diff difficult conversion to make a difficult comparison to make so it's it's tricky and you know and it it happened and we're moving forward and there's no point in like you know bemoaning it but you know i I try to step into those shoes and i i just really would want to pick 35 i would want to bat uh and you know obviously you know carson oh i don't know if you've seen the clips man it's otas i had no idea how he was supposed to look uh maybe he was supposed to look fine but he looks fine and that makes me happy uh, and so now, you know, it's it's too easy to kind of rewrite the annals of history, but it's okay. I'm 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 fine with it because at the end of the day, it's it's a good roster. Foles is a good player. There's still time to trade him if and when that that moment comes up. You know, you don't know. There is pain in your voice. I can I can. Eat. I just keep through. looking at Nick Chubb. I have Nick I Chubb up on my monitor, and I keep looking at. Yeah. It, and I love me some Nick Chubb. I love, <laughs> and Ronald Jones. Ronald, it's tricky, man. 
It, it, it's it's yeah. a tough situation. I just hope it was handled well in the building, you know? I agree. All right. So we are going to be able to talk about that a lot. I'm sure that's going to be a major talking point wait, this offseason. Wait, let's have, let's have, let's have a quick one minute conversation. The Browns mm. trade pick 35 for Nick Foles. Do they draft a quarterback at one? But they still, they brought in Tyrod and they still drafted a quarterback. Did they see Tyrod at the same level? They went for Foles first. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I Here's mean, what, because, because to me, the Browns got lucky, which is whenever something good happens to the Browns, that's usually the explanation behind it. Drafting, uh, bring in Tyrod at 65 is so much more so of a bridge move. You just moved an early third correct. for a quarterback. It's so much more easier now to justify getting one at number one overall. I still think 65 is is expensive for a bridge quarterback if he's a one-year guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's decently pricey. I think they had enough high picks. Right, of course. Take a quarterback. Mike, when I wrote about the Browns potentially trading for Foles, I mentioned 35. And I thought they'd try to package it with 94 to move it mm. for Foles. I thought that was going to be the deal that they were going to be trying to work with Philadelphia. And that Howie might even try to push him for more, attach some conditional playing time picks behind it, whatever. Uh, just 35 alone was like, you know, to me, I thought that Philadelphia could have gotten more out of them than that because of how much, how many early picks they had. But what I'm saying is this, 65 Tyrod, it's a lot easier to justify picking a quarterback at one. If you spent 35 on Nick and then you pick a quarterback at one, that is a terrible bridge situation. And you're going to be lambasted for that because that was a very, very hefty price to pay for a guy who's clearly a bridge or that you don't draft a quarterback at one. And now... Nick Foles is your starting quarterback, and that's that hasn't been a good situation for anybody recently at all. Like with, with Saquon he, Barkley in the backfield. <laughs> well, sure, sure. Now you've got number one, and you can move it, whatever. But I'm saying the fact that they couldn't pull off Foles for 35 forced them into Tyrod Tyrod for 65, and that might have saved their bacon because they might not have taken Baker, and they would have been stuck with Foles as their starting quarterback. Which, for the love I've got for Nick Foles and what he means to Philadelphia, I don't think you want him to be your starting quarterback. I don't think he, I think I want I want to convince a team that, but I don't actually think that inside. You know what I mean? So it's interesting because if Foles to thirty five had gone down, Cleveland would have been in a spot that would have been weird. But yeah, that's an interesting what if hypothetical scenario to play with. Uh, I I really want to kind of dig into that a little bit more. But this is an eye of the enemy show, and we have been severely neglecting that just because of the breaking news coming out about the Philadelphia Eagles. Because we are a Philadelphia Eagles podcast first. Uh, along with a Mike Leach podcast, which, by the way, reached out to Mike Leach, and we should be talking with him soon. Just need to finalize those details, by the way. Coach Mike Leach. I just knocked over my yeah. mic. I'm so excited. <laughs> <You're> t- <laughs> Syndicated. Syndicated Mike Leach podcast. That is in the works. Mike Leach said he would be happy to come on and talk with us. Thank you, Tinsel listeners, for reaching out to him and uh, coercing him into doing it. That's awesome. Hopefully that comes soon. I'm very, very psyched about it. It would be the greatest day of my life. No big deal. Beware. It's probably going to be a lot of history talk. We're both big history nerds. Talk talk about Geronimo. Mike Leach wrote a book about Geronimo. This is another thing we discovered recently about Mike Leach. I had no idea. Wrote a history book about Geronimo. No idea. Leadership. It's amazing. All that good stuff. He said that he found out about Geronimo watching like Bugs Bunny. Anyway. Yeah, when he so, was just a youngin'. I had the enemy. The New Orleans Saints is the team on the docket today. So let's get into the New Orleans Saints. They went 11-5 last year. They were a play away from playing the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC Conference championship game. If you haven't listened to our Eye of the Enemy editions or segments before, go back. We've already done the NFC East. We've done the Redskins, the Cowboys, and the Giants, the terrible, terrible Giants. And uh, now we're kind of branching out into some NFC contenders. 
So when you look at the Saints, man, I was looking at Drew Brees today and I did not realize that in the entire history of the NFL, there was never a quarterback with over 200 throws and a 72% or better completion percentage. Drew Brees did that last year while leading the league in yards per attempt at 8.1. That's bonkers. I don't know how those two go together because he had that game manager role. They kind of dialed things back because early on in the season, he had some deep balls that kind of ducked on him and people were worried about, you know, is is this like the cliff for him? Has he gone over the cliff? Is he kind of done? And then he just comes out and has a fantastic season. And obviously they scaled the offense back a little bit, but he was crazy, crazy efficient, man. Like, all the accuracy metrics that you want to look at, like PFF or the different ranges or whatever the case may be, like he's number one. And we were talking before the show, Drew Brees doesn't get enough credit because we always talk about like one, two, like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Like that's the discussion. And Drew Brees kind of gets left out of that. Right. It went the It went like, oh, Brady Manning. And also don't forget Brees. And then once Manning was falling off, Rodgers was really becoming elite. So it became Rodgers right. and Brady. And don't forget about Brees. Like it was always just that like addendum to the conversation yeah. where meanwhile it's because his excellence has been so consistent while he's also not made it to enough Super Bowls. And so it, we just take it for granted. We really do. So Drew Brees still an amazing quarterback. It's going to be interesting to see how he starts the year this year to see if those same concerns are there with the arm strength. It looked totally fine to me throughout the season. I know we've dug deep into these quarterbacks before uh, in the NFC East because I think there's a lot of ambiguity about him. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of debate around him. I don't think there's a debate around Drew Brees. I mean, he's the face of that franchise. He is still an excellent quarterback that you win because of. I don't think anything changes with that for, as far as their outlook for next year. And, I mean, you look at their backs, too, what they're able to do in the running game. They bring in Alvin Kamara as a rookie. He led the league among running backs in yards per route run. Is uh, not only contributing as a running back, but as a receiver as well. Yards per route run at 2.84. Yards per out. That's crazy. That's bonkers. Uh, ben, that's only behind Julio Jones and Antonio Brown. 1,500 yards from scrimmage, 6.1 yards per carry. Dude had 81 receptions and all told had 13 total touchdowns. Uh, it was a hell of a season for Kamara. And, and we talked about it throughout the season, Ben, about how they should have featured him more heavily. Only 31 touches in the two playoff games combined seemed low to me. Huge season for a rookie. He was first in PFF's elusiveness rating, which gauges success beyond the point of being held by his blockers. And with Ingram out for the first four games coming into the season, you may see his skill set on full display to start the season. Also, Ben, special teams, Ben, third phase of the game. Kamara contributed on just 11 returns. He had an average of 31.5 yards per return, including a 106-yard touchdown return against the Bucks on Week 17. Dude balled out. And Mark Ingram went for over 1,000 yards. So it's not like he's going to be gone forever just because he's out for those first four games. Like this is a running attack that also has backs that contribute in the passing game with an elite quarterback. And that's always going to be a dangerous thing. To me, what's really interesting is that I talk about Philadelphia's offensive line as being the most, the best unit in in, in football. Mm. But I think if you were to bring up a second best offensive line, it'd be this one. And I think it's like, it's better than I originally realized. It's a good offensive line and that is to me the the, the storyline behind the improved running game is the investments that you've seen made recently in this offensive line as far as you're yeah. bringing in andrus pete in in 2015 he's a first round selection you're bringing in ryan ramchick 2017 first round selection larry warford undrafted free agent comes over from detroit right andrus pete was a good tackle at stanford he's like left guard because they've got arms setting out and they brought in ramchick now to be in the, on the outside they made a weird pick in rick leonard that offensive tackle out of Florida State. He's not good at football. 
Uh, but the, their their front five is as good. Max Unger is their center. He's the only guy I didn't bring up. And Max Unger is a top five center in the league. To me, you've got two. You've got a top five guard in in Andrews P, a, a top five tackle in Teron Armstead, a top five center in Max Unger. Larry Warford is a solid starter, and then Ramchick is is you know he's going to be in his second year. He's a little bit less of a known quantity in the NFL, but we had all reason to believe that he'd be very effective player. Uh, you know, went with stepping into to the NFL, obviously, if, as long as he's healthy, which he seems to be for the Saints. So the offensive line is what, in my opinion, powered the change as far as, you know, we talked about the Saints last year as this team has finally opened up the rushing attack to help Drew Brees. And, and Kamara gets a lot of that buzz. And he, he deservedly does because he's, like you said, incredibly elusive, uh, dual threat receiving and rushing attack. But the guys who don't get their day in the sun to me are the guys, the, the big uglies in the offensive line. And I got mad love for them. And a quick, a quick couple of stats on that just to illuminate that point. They were tops in the league for yards per carry on inside zone with 5.4. They were second in the NFL with 2.56 yards before contact on those concepts. There you go. That means the line is doing very, very well uh, for those running backs on outside zone. 5.9 yards per carry, best in the league. 1.8 yards per carry before contact with those concepts. Fifth best in the league. And they ran outside zone, eighth most in the league. With those kind of numbers pointing to them being arguably the the best zone running team in the league, you would might wonder why they would ever run gap concepts. Uh, but they were really good there too, ninth in the league. They were also the top unit in regards to Pro Football Focus's pass blocking efficiency. They allowed 14 less pressures than any other team, and they ranked second out of 12 in the playoffs for pass blocking efficiency. So they got it done uh, in the playoffs as well. Yeah, but like you said, the addition of Ryan Ramchick to pair with Teron Armstead or at least to bring more depth along that line to deal with the eventual Teron Armstrong injury because he hasn't ever had a full healthy season. Now, I am concerned that they lost depth of guard with, with uh, Kelamete, however you say his name. He went name. to the Texans, yeah? Yeah, and they also lost Zach Streif, who is Armstead's replacement as well. Oh, no, so right. So Streif retires because of Ramchick. So to me, that's yeah. that's a step into the shoe situation. He made that very clear that that was the reason why he felt comfortable retiring. And then they add... Bushrod, Jermon Bushrod, to provide depth on the interior. So to me, they answered those questions as far as the guys that they lost and then just plugging them back in. You know what I mean? And okay. Will, they, they bring in Will Clapp out of LSU with a late-round selection, and Clapp isn't fantastic, but he's a solid you know, three-year starter in the SEC. So to me, he's a decent depth player, and that's how I had him graded. So I like the additions they made like on that on the two deep on the second line of the yeah. depth chart. I did. I just didn't bring them up. I don't know how you feel about them. Yeah, I just don't think Bushrod is good. Uh, at, at least not near the level of, of what they of what came out the door. I mean, obviously it's yeah. a body. I'll be honest with you, I'm not like I know this line is good, but I'm not super you know familiar with how well Kelamente plays. Celio, that guy, I'm not super familiar with his game, and I know Bushrod. I think Bushrod's decent. I mean, he's getting old, but he's decent. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, Kelamente wasn't all that great either. He wasn't exactly like a doorbuster, but. I thought he played well enough when he had to. And this is a line that survived 18 different line combinations, which is like top 10 in the league. I mean, the Eagles had to survive 28 different line combinations because we had that weird uh, guard by committee situation yeah, yeah, early yeah. on in the year, plus the Peter situation. So uh, we had some more hurdles to go with that, but I thought they did very well. And you look at this team's just to wrap it up on the offense. You look at their weapons. Michael Thomas was super reliable uh, yet again for Breeze. He tied for fourth. With DeAndre Hopkins for yards per route run at 2.39 and fifth best in drop rate, only dropping two of 106 catchable passes. Oh uh, so he was extremely efficient from the slot as well. 
He only ran about 22% of his routes there for a league leading, though, 3.63 yards per route run. Ted Ginn, man. Ted Ginn was productive from the slot. He was productive on, productive on the outside uh, when they choose to use him in, in either manner. Uh, he had the third best catch rate on deep throws, hauling in 10 of them for 342 yards, three touchdowns on throws that travel through the air 20 yards or more. I really want to talk about Ginn because, man, he's a victim of being overdrafted at the ninth overall pick in the 2007 draft. He's had a productive career lately, despite being misused in Miami, despite being used by San Francisco earlier on in his career. And he still got the Jets at 33 years old, man. He's who I wanted instead of bringing in Miles Austin a few years back. And I posted a clip of this recently, but I still remember Ted Gidd going off in the Fiesta Bowl for over 200 yards uh, all purpose. Uh, the dude, the dude can ball, and he's a nice weapon for that team. He's a real it's nice a, weapon for that team. It's a shame that he's already been replaced by my son. Traquan Smith, third round pick at a UCF. That's my boy. I actually really like him. He ended up in my top 10 wide receivers. I think it was like seventh or eighth. I'll have to pull it up. But I, I really like that fit there. I'm going to be really pissed if you had him higher than I do. I'm pretty sure he's somewhere late in my top 10 too. But if you had him higher, I'm going to be so mad. I think I did. I think I did. And you're going to be so wrong. I'm going to shove right, this in fi- your face. I'm, so I'm Ben, gonna, uh, The producer is going to pull it up while we're talking. Yeah, no, that's perfectly fine. So what I want to ask you while I pull up the same rankings is, do you feel that this offense is taking a step forward, a step back, or is pretty much just keeping that. I mean, they're, they're a very good offense. To take a step forward for them is going to be very hard from what they were able to do last year. Uh, do you think they stayed the same, or, or was there a change there? Uh, I, I, if there's any change, it's insignificant. To me, the biggest hole on this roster, maybe not by positional value, but just by talent overall, was tight end. And then they didn't draft a tight end. And I want to be like, that's going to be an issue, but it hasn't ever been. And one of the reasons why Kamara is so successful is when you spread that offense out and you give him a ton of space and you give him a light box because he's not the best at reading and, and sifting through traffic and he doesn't like confusion. He, he's just a pure old space player, right? So at that tight end position, however, they added multiple priority. Well, they had one big priority free agent in Deion Yelder out of Western Kentucky. And he was a late addition to the Senior Bowl. He is a a, a smaller squatter wide receiver. He is an H-back. He is not a, a blocking tight end. And then they brought in Ryan Juracek, who I like, out of Marshall, as a, as a rookie minicamp tryout. And he earned a contract. They signed him during rookie minicamp. And now he's on the roster as well in kind of like a weird little fullback situation. So I think they're looking, you know, they've, they've got Michael Hamanamanui, Who's always been? Did you, did you, did you notice? Yeah, wow, ripped dude. that off, no problem. Uh, he's always Jeez. been an H backy sort of a guy, and then you know it's Josh Hill, Benjamin Watson, just the other unexciting players. So to me, they look. It, it seems as if they're looking for a very specific, smaller H back, fullback sort of mold at tight end, and they're just going to forego the traditional guy entirely, forego the big body guy entirely. And we know they like to line up big bodies and the slot anyway. I mean, if you're working Brandon Coleman, he's a huge slot. Michael Thomas is an over six foot guy, and they like to line him up in the slot. Traquan Smith is going to be a guy who plays the slot around six one, and so they don't necessarily need that big body. So I, I think that there's just an ideological choice with the tight end position that they're making. So while it's still a gap in terms of talent, I'm not sure it's a hole on the roster because it's not any yeah. worse than it has been, and I don't think that they you know, wanted to improve it and couldn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I think their, their wide receivers got a little bit better too, with Traquan Smith, who I had ranked eighth in my wide receivers. Where did you have him, Ben? Traquan Smith in my wide receivers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Shoot. Ooh, that Way sucks lower. for you. I had him. Yeah. I had him in the, <laughs> in the high teens. Okay. That's fine. Not like <laughs> I discovered him or anything. First 
On Traquan Smith, I was, but whatever. Nobody's first on anybody, Ben. You know this better than anyone. <laughs> That's just how it works. Uh, okay, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think any change in this offense is minimal. I think they're going to be explosive. I think they're going to have a good run game, good line. Mm-hmm. Drew Brees, unless he completely falls off the cliff, as people worried about last year, I think they're going to be perfectly fine. They're going to score points. Let's flip it over to the defense. This is a defense that jumped from 31st overall DVOA, according to Football Outsiders, to sixth overall, uh, a big time improvement. What? It wasn't me. It was someone else. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, they were better against the past. Uh, what helped was the addition of Alex Okafor, giving them a nice compliment to Cameron Jordan until Okafor went down in the middle of the season. Cameron Jordan had 13 sacks. He's an absolute beast. He played really, really, really well. I think he's a really underrated player as well. As far as their defensive backs go, Ken Crawley is the the guy that you attack from this group, and mm-hmm. you can get him getting being handsy down the field. But across from him, you've got the excellent Marshawn Lattimore, who had a fantastic rookie season. They added Patrick Robinson from the Eagles to man the nickel, where he allowed only a 65.2 passer rating when targeted, good for top five among nickel quarterbacks. And you've got Marcus Williams, who had a really solid rookie campaign that the narrative shifted wildly on. After he Poor wildly guy, missed Stefan Diggs. It's terrible, man. It was a really good season. I was super high on Marcus Williams, man, when he was coming out. I had him as like a fringe, like early round two. He played super, super well. And then he has that happen. And you hope for the kid that like that doesn't just like completely shatter his world to the point where like he can't come back from it. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, it, it shouldn't be a resilient guy. Uh, he's going to, you know, he's the, the defined starter there. Uh, it would be nice if they had. I think some more veterans to help him out around there. Uh, I mean, they brought in Kirk Coleman. Now they've got a pretty young secondary overall. I, I don't know if you have the numbers on their pass rushing, but on the paper, it doesn't look stellar. Like obviously Cameron Jordan is is the man, and he's been the man for a while. But riding thirty plus year old pass rushers is always a dangerous proposition. Uh, and even if he gives you a great season next season, like he did, which hope he does, because fun player. Right, you're hoping on Alex Okafor, who was having like a, a much better season than we're accustomed to before he tore his Achilles, and now you're kind of banking on a full recovery. Uh, you've got Trey Hendrickson, the kid out of FAU, and Alcadine Muhammad, the defensive end out of Miami, and you're trying to get both of them to be productive players. For you. They were fourth-round picks, and so you're looking for you know a situational guy there. Really, that's, that's a rotational three. That's not a starting two. You hope it's Marcus Davenport the young man out of UTSA, you trade up, you give up a 2019 first to go get him. Davenport isn't, to me, a year one contributor, even on his best projection. I was low on Davenport. I think that he's a he's a rough, rough player who it's no in no way, shape, or form a sure bet that he becomes successful in the NFL. But even on his best projection, Mike, this isn't a year one stud. And you got Drew Brees on a two-year extension, 50 million. That's your window with Breeze. And you've got no developmental guy behind him. So it is now in a very thick NFC. And, and Marcus Davenport is not the dude to give you the pass rush jolt that I think you needed. I like Honestly, if it's going to come from anywhere, I want it to come from Sheldon Rankins, who's that defensive yes. tackle out of Louisville that they brought in the first round in 2016. I love Rankins' tape. I think he's great. And then he got injured before he could ever play in his rookie year, and he's been fighting his way back. And I want him to get more reps at pure three-tech, and maybe that interior rush helps. But this is a team that, in, in my opinion, while capital-wise, they invested in defensive and, and in the pass rush, I don't think they're going to get the returns they expected. And then the linebackers were shaky behind them. 
and there wasn't much of an investment there as well. And you're still playing AJ Klein. You know, you're going to try to be getting something out of Alex Anzalone, who has not been able to stay healthy for his entire career. And then it's a Monte Teo. It's uh Halui Kikaha. It's Demario Davis. No one gets me psyched there. Kikaha situationally rushes, and I like him better with his hand down. But they, they play him with his hand up sometimes too. There's no stellar talent there. And then on the pass rush, you've got Cameron Jordan, and then a lot of guys you're expecting to kind of produce piecemeal to build a second rusher. So like, I, this isn't a star-studded defensive roster. It's a defensive roster. That's why I kind of, you know, dropped that regression thing. A lot of guys played really well to come together, and that's awesome, and that's how most teams are successful. But, you you know, that's a tough formula to try to rely upon year after year, and, and no one's going to take a step back. That's that's tricky for me. No, I completely understand it. And you were talking about the interior I think the pass rush is going to have to come from Sheldon Rankins. I was also very high on Rankins as well when he was in there. I mean, he, he played well. Yeah, but, but then you look against the run with the interior. I mean, Tyler Davison, David Onyemata, none of those guys excite me. And they got taken for 4.4 yards per carry, 28th in the league. Uh, they had some issues getting off the field on third down as well because of the lack of the pass rush, especially when Okafor went out, ranking 27th and getting off the field. So I'm with you. There are definitely concerns with the pass rush there. And I think that Crawley gets picked on even more this season with teams trying to stay away from Marshawn Lattimore. I do, however, I think I'm higher on the Demario Davis pickup than you are. I like the idea of upgrading on Monty Teo, who was serviceable last year. He's always going to be a guy that you want to kind of upgrade. But Davis was a guy that that I was actually kind of looking at um, for the Eagles if our linebacker situation got weird with Bradham and, and, and all that stuff. He wasn't my first pick, you know, by any means. but. Right. He was definitely he's definitely a solid talent for the Jets when he was there. It's not the sexiest linebacking group by any means, and I think there are definite holes there. Uh, I do like the addition of Davis, though. I think that just kind of alleviates that just a little bit. But as far as the depth, I'm not I'm not really sold on it. As so, just from an overall perspective from this defense, like you said with Davenport, man, when they traded up to 14, we were sold on the fact live that that was a move for Lamar Jackson to secure the future of this football team, which would have been a great fit for Lamar uh, being with Sean Payton. We were basically like, like that was it. And then when we heard it was Marcus Davenport and they gave up next, a next year first round pick, like you mortgage your future on a win now move on a guy that's not going to help you win now because he's so raw. It seemed super desperate. And and from the year before, I loved their draft class. They landed four guys in my top 60 the year before. I absolutely loved that draft class. And they and they came out and they balled out and they turned the fortunes of the of the team around. They had three seasons in a row uh, without going to the playoffs. And that changed instantly for them. This year, I don't know what got into them because they just got super desperate and reached on an edge rusher in a class that maybe didn't have all that at top edge rushing talent, especially since Harold Landry was slipping like crazy. Um, but to go and get Davenport in that situation, I don't think it pans out for them year one. I think they're still wanting in the pass rush department. The linebacking core isn't all that sexy, even if it's decent. I think it's decent. Uh, Alex Anzalone, like you said, can never stay healthy. That's always been his big bugaboo. So they're going to get a little bit light uh, in that position as the season moves along. And, I mean, the defensive backs are good. Marshall Lattimore being the star of that group. Marcus Williams should bounce back. Uh, like I said, you could pick on Crawley. I think this is a defense this is sol- that's solid. 
but I think that they're going to have issues again getting off the field on third down, again getting pressure because they are a, a one-trick pony when it comes to getting pressure. Uh, but I do expect Sheldon Rankins to take a step forward if he can stay healthy. I think that's going to be a, a major key for them if they can generate pressure from the interior. As far as his defense, I felt I thought they overperformed last year, and I think you're going to see, like you said, uh, the word regression is not going to come on the offensive side of the ball. It's going to come on the defensive side of the ball, right? Yeah. It's also worth noting, and I totally forgot this, I don't trust Dennis Allen, and I never will trust Dennis Allen ever. The defensive coordinator for the Saints? He just yeah, is, uh, he's, he's old, and, and he not he's old in his thinking, in my opinion. Obviously, he has been coaching for easily like 20 years. He's never inspired me. When he was with Oakland, it was really bad. Uh, he bounced around in New Orleans for like a while, and he was kind of, I think, hired on, on equity, you know, hired on uh, tenure, if you will. Obviously, the defense took a step forward, but I'll believe in Dennis Allen when his defense is good for like three seasons in a row, not just one. That gives me concern as well. Are you, like, it, give me percent security, like percent certainty. The Saints win the NFC South. I was just about to ask you the oh, exact sweet. same thing. Well, I'm glad I got in front of you. I am going to go, I'm going to go with 40%. I'll go with 40. I think wow. the Falcons take it. I think the Falcons take it. That that would that's my that's my bigger one there with the wild card being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think the Carolina Panthers are going to do anything to be honest with you. I don't know what is going on in Carolina, but I don't think it's the right thing at all when you have a superstar quarterback and you're trying to go win one. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is they're doing is not not doing it for me whatsoever. So I, I would go with the favorites as the god man, I hate their offensive guy. I hate Sarkeesian. I hate Sarkeesian so much. Maybe I'm changing my mind. Am I changing my own mind right now? Can I do that? Can I go with Saints? Can I flip it? I think. <laughs> it's pretty so, close. I'll put it to you this way. I expected you to be firmer on the Saints and then for me to come at it with the Falcons because I really like the Falcons. I think the Falcons are going to be very, yeah. very good. And I also have like qualms with Sarkeesian, but I think it's easier for a great quarterback to make a shaky offensive coordinator good than it is for... Yeah a shaky defensive coordinator to be saved by his entire unit as I'm looking at with the Saints. Could, it would not be very difficult to convince me that we get, you know, multiple, like, you know, two Saints-Falcons showdown gun-offs in, the, in this upcoming season. One of them will be a primetime game. Week 12 is a Sunday night game, Saints-Falcons, which would be a fun one. I've got love for Matt Ryan. And I realized, like, recently people don't. Um, but I have mad love for Matt Ryan. I think he's a fantastic quarterback. I think that defense is is incredibly, incredibly talented. And I think that they have the pass rush ability. And they have the defensive speed. They, they have the coverage ability to hang with the Saints. Whereas I don't know if the Saints do in so much with the Falcons. So I, I think the Falcons should win that division. But as we, we've known, and kind of to bring, you know, things full circle regardless of the talent around him and how well his defense is playing, a, a team with Drew Brees is a dangerous team, right? So yeah. that, 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 that should, to me, it should be a two-horse race. I don't trust Tampa yet, and I don't trust Carolina either. And both teams should make the playoffs, and then, you know, it's all bets off. But if we're just guessing who wins the division, I honestly think I'd give the preseason edge right now to the Falcons. Yeah, I, I'm probably leaning that way. I'm probably leaning uh, 50, 40, and then uh, with 10 going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just as an offshoot. This is a, a, a chance. Maybe Jameis takes the next step. I don't think he does. We aren't going to feature the Bucks in this segment because we don't think they're legitimate contenders. But there's always a possibility for a, for a breakout season. I think the Bucks are talented enough to do it. I don't believe in their coaching. I don't believe in the way that they're handling Jameis Winston. So that's not something I'm necessarily scared of. Uh, but yeah, I'll go, I'll go Falcons. So maybe we need to talk about them at a future date. I think we're going to be talking about the Vikings next. So this has been Eye of the Enemy. 
the New Orleans Saints edition. Ben, if we're good on this, do you want to let the gentle, gentle listeners know what we have on tap for next time? You already dropped it as the Vikings, so what am I supposed to talk about now? The Vikings. A little bit more about the Vikings. I thought you had like a funny anecdote to, to follow up with that, to be honest with you. I guess you, okay, aren't, so you aren't that once clever. Once upon a time, I know I got an anecdote. Once upon a time, seven Vikings fans got on the Rocky Steps and did the Skull Chant. And uh-huh. then we beat them 38-7 to and then won the Super Bowl in their stadium. I don't know if you heard that story before, Mike, but it's a great one. I tell it to my kids every night before bed, Skull. There you go. <laughs> Remember to go to iTunes, rate, review. We are so close, man. We're so close. We need a 1,000 five-star ratings from you guys for that pizza party to happen. Brandon Lee Gowton needs for it to help it happen. And I'm sure you want to stop hearing Brandon uh, beg for that as well. So do us a favor. Head over to the iTunes reviews. Drop us a line. Give us five stars. Because we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Fly.